0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror hill. If it's the darkness you seek, You won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun. And nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air is colder, prepare yourself, if you dare. Come, inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more. Your search is through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found.
2: Season 2, Episode 17. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. For tonight's episode, we'll turn to authors Ryan Peacock and Brian Martinez to guide us through the forest of roiling primeval dread that is the Horror Hill. You're listening to the Standard Edition of this program, Allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Our first story this evening, the tale of a young man in self-imposed isolation who becomes entranced by digital desires and what dark things lurk behind the monitor screen. Without further ado, from author Ryan Peacock, I give you Rule 34. My first love was Misty from Pokemon Those legs That sass She was absolutely perfect No one else could ever compare When I played the games I'd hang around her gym and pretend that we were on a date That she had become obsessed and fallen head over heels in love with me It was just a silly fantasy But I enjoyed it when I was younger Girls were never really interested in me I was too shy, and I found it hard to trust people, so I lashed out a lot. None of my temporary crushes ever went anywhere. Dates fell apart when I didn't know what to talk about. A part of me was a little bitter, I at in. But I took some comfort in the fact that I was able to find some happiness in my life. I didn't have many friends, but one of my closest was a guy in my town named Chris. We'd met over RuneScape back in the day... And followed each other around since then. He was about five years older than me and was a bit more into anime than I was. He always made his characters look like some girl named Makiko Shimizu. Still, Chris was always there to listen to my problems. I could come to him about anything at all, and he'd always have a solution. "Girls are overrated," he said, when he was over at my mom's house once. I was in the middle of high school at the time. We were playing co-op on the original Halo, in the middle of the Swamp level. I mean, they've got it made. They just flash their tits and smile and people do anything for them. Do you have any idea how fucking manipulative women are? They're not all like that, though, I said. I mean, there's got to be some good ones out there. There aren't, Chris said. Trust me, man. I've been down that road. You don't fuck women. That's the thing the chads don't understand. They fuck you. Honestly, you're much better off without them. Trust me, man. He swore as one of the stupid zombie aliens killed him, then sat back on the beaten up old couch we used to game on. You know what's never going to betray you? Animation. That's why I like Makiko. No fucking backtalk. No sleeping around. She's mine. And no one can take that from me. I raised an eyebrow at him. Yeah, but she's not real. I was also pretty sure she was only 11 in the show. Isn't she? He asked. She's real to me, Jeremy. I've got all her merch and I sleep with her every night. I'm in love. I'm happier the way I am now than I've ever been with some slut. Trust me, You're never going to be as satisfied with a woman as you will be with your own hands. He respawned and continued playing, reshifting his focus back to the game. I tried to think of an argument, but I really couldn't, so I let it drop. The thing is, as the years went by, that conversation stuck with me, and I started thinking that he was right. In time, I got my shit together. I moved out into my own little apartment, and I kept a steady job. It got me by, even if I didn't really enjoy it. I was always a gamer, and as the landscape of how gamers played changed, I adapted. You can make some half decent money streaming Overwatch if you're good, and I was very good. When I got home from work, I'd get into my rig and I'd stream. It was almost daily with me. I had a small fan base, too. My main was Tracer, although it had nothing to do with her playstyle. I liked it, but I thought Genji was the coolest and McCree was my favorite. Truth is, I just liked Tracer because she was hot. I was honestly a little pissed when they released that comic confirming she was gay. I felt like Blizzard had devalued her in the name of the SJW poison that was slowly strangling America. But it didn't change the way I felt. If you're not familiar with Overwatch, Tracer is kind of a run-and-gun kind of character. She's a hot little thing... With a pixie haircut, bomber jacket, and orange visor. I love a little Cockney accent, but more than anything, I love the way her ass looks in those tight leggings. Her real name is Lena Oxton, and her gimmick is time travel. It's complicated to explain, and I'm sure there are better sources on the internet that can do it better than I can. Most nights, when I'd finish a stream, I'd retire to my bedroom with my phone. I had a pretty good selection of Rule 34 hentai. For the uninitiated, Rule 34 states that if something exists, there is porn it. It's something of an internet meme, but it does ring pretty true. I guess I'm not the only one into Tracer, since she's pretty damn popular. My favorite stuff were the SFM videos. Animated videos of a 3D model of Tracer getting dicked. The really good ones were full-on movies and the best were all shot from the perspective of whoever was giving it to her. As I got myself off, I'd imagine Lita Oxton beneath me. I imagined her long, slender legs wrapped around me, her eager breaths and her nails digging into my skin. Then, when I was done, I'd fall asleep, comfortable and satisfied. Chris was right. Lena made me happier than any real woman ever could have. I don't remember the exact day that I discovered Sprite Shark. I do remember I'd seen one of his tracer animations on a forum and thought it was really great. It was a POV video where the viewer went into her house and seduced her. The detail was outstanding. Right then, Yuria, she said as the door opened. The voice actress was spot on. Their impression was nearly perfect. She shyly let the camera into her house. She stared at her feet before closing the door. You want something to drink? Or... She paused and laughed. Oh, hell. I've never done something like this before. Really. The camera fixated on some pictures of Tracer and her canon girlfriend, Emily, before looking back at her questioningly. Oh, Don't worry, she won't be back. It's just us here. Promise. Smiling, Tracer approached the camera and pushed the picture down. Come here. She pulled the camera into a kiss, and the video cut to black. When it started up again, it and Tracer were already in her bedroom, getting busy. The next 15 minutes were almost pure bliss. Every change in position excited me even more. Tracer's breathy moans and little twitches as she reached her climax were adorable to watch. The way she called out for more set my heart aflutter. And at last, when the clip ended and the camera pulled away from a thoroughly used Tracer, she smiled up and reached up to wave goodbye. Leaving already? All right, come back and see me soon, Love. I knew that I would. The first time I saw the video, I downloaded it immediately. It became my new favorite. Sprite Shark hadn't uploaded anything else, so it was all I had from him to tide me over. I did my research, but I came up with nothing. No other videos, no Tumblr or Twitter. Whoever this was, he was a ghost. That kind of upset me. I wondered if it had been misattributed, but couldn't find that video uploaded anywhere else. In a few weeks, I hadn't forgotten about it, but I had moved on to other things. I was a man who liked his variety, after all. I'd given up looking for Sprite Shark, and just accepted I'd found all that he'd made. Then, on my usual forum, I found another video. I only clicked on it because I liked the thumbnail and only recognized that it was Shard's work after the fact. The video was the same quality as last time and absolutely breathtaking. It started with the camera sitting down across from Tracer in a coffee shop. No other patrons were visible and she had a dreamy look in her eyes. It's good to see you again, love, she said with a smile and reached out to place her hand over the camera operator's hand. Sorry, I don't have the place to myself. But... She held up a key and winked. I got us some privacy. Come on. The video detailed the short walk through the empty animated streets. No one else was visible. It was just the camera and tracer. The sky was dark, indicating the video was supposed to be set at night. I'll say that the environment was quite detailed... It looked almost like something that could actually exist. It wasn't too clean, like most of the ones you see in SFM videos are. Tracer walked ahead of the camera, giving it a good view of her ass and looked back frequently, although she didn't speak. The video didn't waste much time. She headed into a nearby door in a wall and a bedroom was waiting right there. The camera overtook her when the door closed and pressed her against it. It went dark, and I could hear the sound of Tracer's lips meeting the camera's lens. Oh yes, I've been waiting for this. The actual smut was similar to what came before, but I was expecting that. More accurately, I was hoping for it. The video was slightly longer than the previous one, but I enjoyed it just as much. I wasn't surprised to see it was Sprite Shark. But this time, I didn't try and hunt them down, either. They'd come out of the shadows soon enough. I was sure of that. As time went on, Sprite Shark did upload more regularly. The videos were almost always the same. Meeting up with Tracer on some sort of short date that would last a couple of minutes at most, and a healthy dose of smut. It was always Tracer. I never saw anyone else in his videos. Once I figured out that they were being uploaded every two weeks, I started to anticipate them. I got excited for them and waited for the post to be made. What surprised me was that Sprite Shark never really got much attention with his posts. Sometimes I was the only one who ever bothered with them. I wondered if people were getting bored of the long intros, but I liked those. I liked feeling close to Tracer. I liked feeling like I was her dirty little secret. In my fantasies, I imagined her coming home and ignoring her girlfriend just so she could talk to me. I imagined taking her out to dinners and then back to my place. I imagined fixing what Blizzard fucked up. Lena belonged with a man. That was how this was supposed to work, one man and one woman. That was the natural order of things. I thought about what life would be like once Tracer finally told Emily that it was over, and she truly became mine. Then, one day, Shock uploaded another video. I watched it patiently. It started with the camera getting out of a car, and Tracer stepping out of the passenger seat. The setting was an empty beach. Oh, how lovely. An entire weekend, just me and you. Tracer looked over at the camera. What? Jeremy, you're making me blush. She giggled and covered her hand with her mouth. I froze. Jeremy was my name. Maybe I'd misheard it. Maybe this was a mistake. But as the video played out, I focused on that. When the sex started in an abandoned cove, I listened as Tracer cried out my name. Oh God, Jeremy. This had to be a coincidence. Sure, I was probably Sprite Shark's biggest fan, but my username didn't give any indication of my actual name. I wasn't sure what to think. It had to be a coincidence. There was no other answer. But then it happened again. Two weeks later, when the next video was uploaded, Tracer said my name again. I'm all yours, Jeremy. When it happened a third time, two weeks later, I had to ask about it. I drafted a message to Sprite Shark. I framed it as just me trying to be friendly and thank him, or her, for all the work they'd done. Just basic fan mail, a compliment. I wouldn't even ask the question. it's funny because my name is Jeremy too. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Hmm it was almost like an afterthought I didn't think I could bury the lead any deeper when it was ready I sent the message this was the reply I got it was from an auto mod bot sorry that's not a registered user my heart skipped a beat I checked to see if Sprite Sharks videos were still up they were I didn't understand was I blocked I tried commenting on them I could still comment, I could still look at their profile, I just couldn't contact them. I didn't understand what this was, but I got my answer soon enough. Sprite Shark's next video was uploaded the next day, no two-week wait this time. I opened it the instant I saw it. It started off with Tracer laying on the bed, head propped up on her hands. She stared into her camera with an adoring smile. Her long legs stuck up behind her, and she reminded me of a stereotypical teenage girl. The camera seemed to be lying down beside her. Sorry, she said softly. I just like seeing you. She leaned in for a quick kiss. I just want to say thanks for all you've done for me. You're always there. You're always cheering me up. I've never been happier than went on with you, Jeremy. I stared into the screen in awe. I got your message, by the way. From the bed, she picked up her phone and showed the screen to the camera. I saw my unsent message there, displaying on her screen. I only needed to read the first few words to know it was mine. I'm sorry if it wasn't entirely clear, but I was talking to you. You really can be so silly sometimes. She said it in a gently chiding tone. It's you that I want, Jeremy. It's always you. I clicked onto the video. This had officially gotten too weird. I mean, it was one thing to just coincidentally have the same name as Tracer's lover in the videos, but to think she was actually talking to me? Well, that was absurd. I shook my head and headed down to my gaming rig. I didn't feel like streaming, I just wanted to play something. Overwatch was still my favorite, so I opted for that, but I didn't go with Tracer this time. I picked Genji, the cyborg samurai. As the match went on, I was able to forget that weird video for a bit and just enjoy myself. But I didn't get to get away for long. I just started a second match when the Tracer on my team ran up to me. Sorry if I scared you, Jeremy. Jeremy. She said. It wasn't a text line, it was a fully voiced emote. In the game, Tracer looked me dead in the eyes. I stared back. My heart started to race, and I exited the match immediately. No more Overwatch. I sat there for a moment before setting up my Xbox One. Halo would be nice to play. Some good old fashioned old school Halo. Over the years, it had still remained one of my favorite games. It would calm me down. I chose the snow level since it was my favorite. But as soon as the gameplay started, the HUD was all wrong. Instead of the Halo assault rifle, I saw Tracer's dual SMGs. I saw her health bar instead of Halo's shield bar. I could only stare in confusion, but I continued to play. I didn't know what I was looking at. My curiosity now outweighed my fear. Is this what you want to play? Tracer's voice asked as the level started. I had full control, like I normally would have, and Tracer handled the same way she would have in Overwatch. She gunned down the alien armies of that old game like she'd always been a part of it. This is probably a bit jarring, isn't it? She asked. But I had to show you it was really me. It's alright. You can be shocked. I'd sure be if I were you. How is this happening? I murmured. How is this possible? I was barely focusing on playing the game. I knew the level well and was playing on a low difficulty so I wasn't too worried about dying. Wish I knew, love. Tracer replied. I'm as in the dark as you are here. But what I know is that you really do mean a lot to me. Ever since I ended up on that site, you were always there. I know this is hard to buy, but I really do love you, Jeremy. And you really do make me feel so good. Like a real woman again. Not like Emily. There was a tinge of disgust in her voice when she said the name of her canon lover. I... I do. You really do? Tracer assured me. The violence of the game didn't seem to affect her... Maybe after this you and me could have a little more face to face. Yeah, she asked. Sort some things out. There really wasn't any other answer I could have given her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Brilliant. We'll talk out later. Right now, I'm having fun. Look up we go. Shit! No sooner had she said that, that a golden alien with a sword hit her and killed her. I'm alright, we'll just try again. Tracer said with a giggle. Even the model of the player in-game had been replaced with Tracer's. She stood out with a stark difference in graphics and art style. I finished the level with Tracer before going back to my computer. I opened it up to find the next video on my computer. Nothing involving Shark Sprite this time. I clicked on it and opened it. Sure enough, Tracer was waiting there. She was sitting in her living room on a comfortable-looking couch and fully dressed. It almost seemed like she actually wanted to talk. There we go, just you and me now, she said with her ever-present grin. Now, I hope you believe everything I'm telling you is true, Jeremy. I don't really get the why of all of it. I said it will be on my level. Maybe we can figure it out together. But what I do know is that I want to take the next step with you. Next step? I asked. She seemed to still hear me alright. It was a bit of a doozy, but I know you can do this. See, I like the way I feel when we're together. But... Miss kind of something really special I want. Special how? I asked. My heart was racing as the reality of my situation was dawning on me. I could really have Tracer's heart. She could be mine. Just like I'd always wanted... Please tell me. Okay. But you have to promise not to freak out. It's a lot. I want to be with you. I want to be on your side of the screen, Jeremy. There's a lot of information I can find in my current position. And I've been thinking about this for a while. But it's hard to do. You need to give me something from your side. What kind of something? I asked. Well, it's a hard part, you see. I need life. Jeremy, human life. I know it's a lot, but we need to kill someone. I can show you how. It's not that hard, but it has to be done in a certain way. Murder? I stared dumbfounded at the screen, and Tracer held her hands up. I know, I know, it's a lot. Trust me, I know. We can be picky. We can find, I don't know, some tosser it just has to be a woman and it has to be done right or else it won't work I thought about shutting the computer off but wouldn't that work Tracer didn't look like she could be talked out of it and well did I want to talk her out of it she did say it could be just some asshole god did I know some assholes it's okay think it over Tracer said but stood up and sat on her knees closer to the camera. But just imagine, I could be yours, free of this existence, free to be in your world. You and I could be together forever. I really do love you, Jeremy. I love you with all my heart, and I'll do anything for us to be together. Even if it means this. It's just one life in exchange for a lifetime of happiness. Don't you deserve this? Hmm. I did. Didn't I? I looked into the screen. Into Tracer... No. Into Lena's big brown eyes. She was beautiful. She was perfect. I would kill for her. I had to. Yes. I do. I... I'll do it. Tracer's smile widened. Brilliant. I promise I'll make you the happiest man alive. She stood and picked up the camera. Now I can show you again later if you need. But let me show you how to do it. She carried the camera through her apartment and towards what looked to be a computer room. None of the videos had taken me inside there yet. She opened the door and revealed a 3D model of her girlfriend, Emily, tied to an office chair. Well, that was interesting. I'd seen fan-made models of Emily, but never anything canon. This still looked pretty good, all things considered. It looked like what Blizzard would have made for Emily if she were in the game. Lena. Lena, please, no. I could hear her sobbing. And I could see her struggling against her bindings. Her voice wasn't one I recognized. She had a British accent, but not Cockney like Tracer's. Ah, oh, will you just shut it already? Tracer, no. Lena snapped. She picked up a knife from the desk and stood behind her soon to be ex girlfriend. Now, what I want you to do is cut like this. You could be merciful. I promise. It'll be easier that way. We mostly need the blood. No. No. Emily sobbed. Please, no. Don't. Emily's protests were silenced as Tracer ran the knife over her throat. There was no blood at first. The blade just clipped through the model. But the reaction was disturbingly realistic. Despite there being no visible wound, the blood still trickled down Emily's chest. Her cries turned into dry gasps for breath. Her body jerked around. The whole while, Tracer stood patiently behind her, waiting for her to die. The blood looked uncomfortably realistic as it soaked into Emily's shirt. Now there's a pattern you have to do. It has to be on the screen. And it's quite all night. But I can send you an image, Tracer said. You can trace over it if you need to. She giggled at the stupid little pun. I watched as she stuck a finger into Emily's wound and drew the pattern on the screen. She drew two circles, one inside the other. The space between them was decorated with ornate circles of lines that looked almost like a labyrinth. The center was bare, but the exterior was something I'd never remember how to do on my own. It was complex and confusing. Looking at it made my eyes hurt. I almost swore that it was moving. I watched as Tracer dipped her finger into the blood to add a few more touches. For a moment, I thought I saw a long nail dragging itself against the screen. I blinked and it was gone. Tracer was still smiling, her eyes looking at the camera, and at me. Do you see it? she asked. I slowly nodded, but I didn't understand it. It's okay if you need help. I'll be there to help. You just need to trace the pattern, and after that, we can be together. Easy, right? It did seem fairly easy. Easy. I wondered at the significance of the sigil she was showing me how to draw, but the why of it was lost to me. Easy, I said. I oh, will know you get it. Tracer let her hand fall and approached the camera. Her body blocked out Emily's corpse. Don't take too long. Find someone and we can be together. I can't wait to see you in person, Jeremy. It's been too long. I don't want to wait any longer. For a while afterwards, I thought about how I'd do it. Who i choose. There was a girl I knew in high school named Karen who might be a good target. I still followed her on Facebook and watched as she'd gone nowhere in life, making bath bombs and manipulating some poor man into thinking he loved her. But how would I get her to my house? No. She wasn't a good candidate. Besides they would recently gotten married and she'd be missed. I needed someone no one would miss. Tracer's request made me realize that there were no women in my life aside from her. Maybe that was a blessing. I needed a stranger. I needed someone I could get to my place without any issues. It would probably be easier that way. So I started thinking about who nobody would miss... The answer was honestly pretty simple. I'd buy myself a whore. Destiny was good enough for my purposes. I found her in an online listing. She was a tall, toned blonde with short, curly hair and a thousand-watt smile. She came dressed in tight-fitting jeans and a tank top. In a lot of ways, she was very inconspicuous. I kind of respected that about her. I had to pay her up front, but that wasn't a problem. She put my $500 into her purse for safekeeping, and I knew I'd just get it back later. "'This is a nice place you've got,' she said sweetly. My apartment had been cleaned up a bit in anticipation of Tracer's arrival. I didn't want to put her off, after all. "'Yeah, it's small, but it's mine,' I said shyly. I couldn't look her in the eye. I stared out the window.' When I felt Destiny's hands on my body and her lips on my neck, I shivered. It felt good. Was this what Tracer would feel like? Do you want to go to the bedroom? She asked me. I liked her voice. Yes, I said, still not wanting to look at her. I knew what I was about to do, and I was starting to doubt myself. I wanted to ask her about herself. I... wanted to find out who she was. Why she was doing this. I'm sure no one had ever asked her before. God, was I going crazy? The first door on the right down the hall, I said. Destiny pulled away and went. I'd lied, of course. I was sending her to the computer room. Tracer could help me clean up the mess afterward be right there I called back to her and turned to head into my kitchen I took a steak knife from my drawer and clutched it tightly as I followed Destiny to her destiny this was a stranger someone who had no idea what they were walking into hell she was a fucking whore people killed them all the time why was I so nervous this is the bedroom Destiny asked frowning as she looked around the computer room she took a step back going to try the next door I was coming up behind her now my heart was racing I couldn't do this I raised the knife and brought it down before I could think properly Destiny screamed and lurched forward the knife was torn out of her body I stumbled after her as she tried to put some distance between us
1: What the fuck?
2: She was clearly terrified. I understood why. I was running on pure adrenaline myself. I rushed towards her, knife in hand, and drove it into her stomach over and over again. I should have gone for the neck, but I wasn't thinking. I was panicking. I just wanted her to die. I wanted her to stop making those awful sounds. Destiny crashed against my bedroom door and slid to the ground. She looked up at me with tears in her eyes. Her red intestines spilled out of her open stomach. But somehow, she still clung to life. I saw her silently pleading with me to let her live. Whoever she was, she didn't want to die. I suppose I understood that, but I couldn't grant her wish. I want to trace her, and for that, she had to die. I put the knife into her neck. Destiny's eyes didn't close. Her head slammed against the doorframe. She made a wheezing gasp, similar to what Emily had made when she died on screen. There was so much blood... It was all over my hands, all over the carpet. All over me. I left the knife in her neck and took a step back, looking at the mold carcass in front of me. Destiny was dead. The hard part was done. Why did I feel so sick? Why did I want to vomit? Oh, God. What was I doing? "'Sounds like it's done,' I heard Tracer say from the computer room. "'Okay, Jeremy.' I looked in the direction of her voice, legs shaking and unable to speak. Slowly, I nodded. "'I'm fine,' I said. "'I just... I need to bring her in.' "'Don't be long,' Tracer said. "'I'm impatient.' I grabbed Destiny by the leg and dragged her into the computer room. She was heavier than she looked, and she left a trail. Her intestines hung from the wound I'd torn in her belly, but to my relief, they didn't come spilling out. God, I would have been sick if that had happened. The stink of death was already painfully strong. Apparently the rumor that your bowels evacuate upon death is quite true. There was another, even worse smell that I couldn't describe. I wasn't strong enough to handle that. I had to head to the bathroom to be sick. When at last I'd wrestled Destiny's body into the computer room, I saw the sigil displayed on my computer screen. You know what to do, Tracer said, upbeat as ever. Go on then, do it, Jeremy. Let me in. I dipped my finger into the blood and I traced two circles. Slowly, I completed the design, my hand shaking as I did so. It wasn't perfect work. A computer screen isn't the best place to draw, and blood isn't the best thing to draw with. It was messy, but it was there. Good, good. You're doing great, Jeremy. Tracer cooed. Don't worry. It'll all go away soon. I'll make it go away. I finished the infernal design and admired my work on the screen. I reached for the mouse and opened my folder filled with various hentai images of Tracer, then my folder, especially for videos. I opened one of my favorites from Sprite Shark and watched as Tracer appeared on the screen. Hello, Jeremy, she said. This wasn't how the video was supposed to begin, but I didn't mind. Elena, I smiled at her, and she smiled back. She looked at the blood on my screen and smiled wider, before tentatively reaching her hand out towards me. Just when she should have touched the glass, I saw it crack. I saw shards of it fall away, and I saw Tracer's fingertips emerge from behind them. It's working. I could hear the voice from inside the screen, not just from the speakers. Jeremy, it's really working! Her entire hand was almost through. It seemed so unreal just looking at it. I'd wondered if she'd looked like a normal person, but the hand I saw still looked like it belonged in a video game. It was still part of Overwatch's art style. Give me a hand, Jeremy, Tracer said pull me through her fingers opened beckoning me forward I reached out towards her to help her through for a perfect moment I touched Lena Oxton I touched my beloved tracer Lena I said softly I pulled her arm out of the screen the glass fell away as her head came through She looked at me with wide, adoring eyes. She looked at me like she would be mine forever. Her other hand came up and caressed my cheek. Her smile widened. Then, her mouth opened. That was when I started screaming. The long rows of teeth weren't what terrified me. It was the legions of eyes behind them. The darkness that lurked in the depths of her mouth. The mouth which opened impossibly wide. It yawned ahead of me like a cavern. It was in that moment I understood what had happened. Tracer wasn't real. Lena Oxton was a fictional character made up for a video game. But this... Whatever this was, whatever i just let into the world, it was real. This was right here in front of me, and it was going to kill me. I pushed her back before stumbling away from the screen, away from the monstrosity that was now partially through it. I spied the door to the computer room and bolted, but her inhumanly long fingers caught me by the arm. You're mine, Jeremy. Tracer crooned. You belong to me. I couldn't escape her iron grip, but... Oh my God, did I try. I pulled as hard as I could and I swear I felt myself slipping. Tracer's mouth opened wide and she stretched out her neck to bite down on my arm. I felt the bone break and screamed out in agony as it did. Then came the sensation of numbness. It hurt. Oh God, it hurt. But I was free. I put in one final push as I threw myself at the door of the computer room. I felt Tracer's fingertips brush against me and looked back to see what was happening. The contorted mass that barely resembled the character I loved protruded from the screen like a macabre flower. In one hand she clutched my arm... Bone jutted out of the place where it had once been attached to my body and the blood was soaking into my shirt. The pain was unbearable but fear kept me upright.
1: Jeremy!
2: She cried and she reached out to me one last time. That lurch of movement brought the screen closer to the edge of the desk and the immense weight coming out of the front proved too much. My screen tipped over falling onto the floor and bringing tracer down with it i heard it bellow in rage before i turned and ran stumbling over my feet as i burst out of my apartment and into the hallway screaming and crying like a madman i stumbled and at last i fell writhing on the ground like an insect my mind was getting foggy Darkness was starting to tug at the edges of my vision, and I could still hear that horrible shrieking coming from behind me, echoing down the hall. I woke up in the intensive care unit. I was told that some of the neighbors heard the commotion and found me in the hall. They were nice. They called the ambulance. There was nothing they could do for my arm, but it doesn't hurt anymore. The drugs that keep me on see to that. Most of the time, I just sleep. My family visits from time to time, and Chris even dropped by to check up on me. I didn't tell any of them what happened. No one would believe me. I waited for the police to come and talk to me. I wasn't surprised when they did. It was just one officer. I didn't catch his name. How are you feeling, Jeremy? The cop asked as he came in. Tired. I admitted. But I've been worse. That's good. I'm sure you know why I'm here. I just wanted to ask a few questions about the attack. Sure. First off, what's the last thing you remember? I paused and chose my answer carefully. I was playing a game, I said, in the computer room. You don't remember the animal entering? He asked animal i played gum i'm honestly not sure what happened nobody's really telling me anything i don't remember much the cop frowned well it's a little hard to say for sure but we think an animal maybe even a bear got into your apartment through the window we know you were attacked in the computer room we found a broken window and the room was torn apart but we're not sure what animal did it We suspected it might have been a bear, but... Well, you were on the sixth floor. I stared quietly at him for a moment, taking in what he told me. Was uh, anyone else hurt? I asked. Did anyone else see anything? No, on both accounts. Far as we can tell, you're the only victim, the cop said. No one else saw anything either. I asked my final question, the one I already knew the answer to. My computer screen? What happened to it? The cop raised an eyebrow. Um not sure. I have some photos of the crime scene if that would jog your mem show me. He did as I asked, and set the photos of my computer room on my lap. I looked over them, focusing on my shattered computer screen on the ground. It sat upright, with the screen completely torn out. Shards of it lay on the ground amongst all the blood. And behind it, a broken window with blue sky beyond.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC.
2: You've been listening to Rule 34 by Ryan Peacock. When an idle hand becomes the devil's plaything, you don't always get to keep it. <laughs> For our next tale of terror, the story of a talented auto mechanic looking to fix up an old clunker and
1: ends up resurrecting more
2: than a vintage ride. Without further ado, from author Brian Martinez, I give you Transmission. Let me start by telling you something about me. The most important thing, in fact. I find things. And I fix them. That's who I am. If you don't know that, you don't know me. I'm a second generation auto mechanic, born and bred. I've been repairing cars since before Ford Pintos were blowing up, when cars were made of steel, and Route 66 wasn't just something for the cartoons... These days, I'm fortunate enough to own shop downtown between two of those chain coffee places. It's small, sure, but it has a reputation for saving cars so far gone no one else will even touch them. So, if you live in the area and you've ever been stuck with the sourest of lemons, or maybe your kid drove your minivan into the pool, we just might have crossed paths, you and I. The reputation is what led to me getting a phone call from a guy I'd never met, saying he had something that might interest me. His name was Bird, and he'd apparently just purchased a piece of property that sat unowned for the better part of twenty years. I knew of the area he was talking about. It's out in the hills, where there isn't much to look at. Most of the land there went to weed years ago. Acres and acres of old woods and burnt-down barns, just waiting for nobody in particular to see the value in them. And, well, it seems Bert was that nobody in particular. I honestly didn't know what Bert's purchase had to do with me, and told him just that, figuring he must have had the wrong number. But the next words out of his mouth told me he knew exactly who he was talking to. Apparently, when old Bert started walking around his new property, digging around in the dirt, so to speak, he made an interesting discovery. So interesting, in fact, that it got me to grab my keys, hop in my trunk, and drive up into the hills without so much as a pause to wash my hands. Some things, you see, don't wait for a man to look presentable. As I drove up into the hills to meet Bert, I started to think about my father and the drives he used to take me on. He liked to get a feel for whichever car he was working on. And those drives, they always ended with a detour into the hills. Nothing tests a vehicle like elevation, he used to say. And I have to admit, I still agree with that statement. All those long inclines, sharp turns and fast descents... Not to mention the occasional slam on the brakes, where they put a car through its paces. Dad knew a thing or two about cars, even if he knew nothing about how to raise a family. Other than maybe a slight fear of commitment. The main thing I got from my father was a passion for restoring old cars in my spare time. It's a hobby of mine, and I do it in the garage of my house. I'm especially a sucker for rare cars. And the rarer, the better that little hobby of mine, more so than my day business, was why I ended up driving out to the middle of nowhere with dirty hands and a head full of ideas. The road up was just as long and winding as I remembered. I almost missed the entrance for the property, a hidden driveway marked with little more than a broken mailbox and a rotting signpost. The private road got smaller and smaller by the minute until I swore the trees were going to swallow me whole and spit the bones back out. When I finally reached what could pass for a clearing, a guy with a face like a junkyard dog was waiting for me next to the newest, cleanest Ford pickup I'd seen outside of a dealership. He introduced himself to me as Eddie, an associate of old Bert. I told him I'd been expecting to meet Bert himself, but Eddie explained that Bert didn't like to meet new people and rarely came out in the cold weather. And was a bit raw, I had to admit, so I dropped the whole thing and let Eddie get down to the business at hand. We left our cars behind, and Eddie led me into the woods, where the walking was slow going on account of the overgrowth of vines and dead branches. I'm not one to spook easily, but the more we walked, the creepier those woods got until I was fairly sure Eddie was going to use that French Mastiff face of his to tear my throat out. But just when I was thinking about turning back and saying screw it to the whole thing, I caught sight of what we'd come for through the trees. The very first car I saw was a white 1974 Pontiac Trans Am, It was missing its door and tires, and it was buried under a layer of dead vines, but the body shape was unmistakable. Under the rust, I could even see what was left of the telltale firebird emblazoned across its hood in blue. I couldn't believe a car like that was just sitting out in the middle of the woods, waiting for anyone to come along and find it. As I got closer, though, I saw just how bad the condition of the car was. The insides were rotted out from rain and mold. When the floor was so eaten up by rust it was ready to fall out. Before my brain could process the loss of such a beautiful machine, I caught sight of another car. This one was a Donson 210 with a tree growing right through the hole where its trunk used to be. Wet leaves and newspaper filled the back seat, and the dashboard was an abandoned nest that crawled with leggy insects. Old Bert hadn't been pulling my leg... Those woods were a graveyard for abandoned cars. From what I could tell, about three acres of woods were absolutely littered with the corpses of old autos. Some were in pieces. Most were covered in dead leaves and rust and all the other things that happen when anything is left outside for years and years. But they were there. The sight of so many classic cars in one place, virtually unknown to anyone, both excited and saddened me. For close to an hour, I walked around random piles of tires and glass to stare at rusted-out Range Rovers and Jeeps with their headlights hanging out like popped eyeballs. Finally, like I'd woken up from a spell, I asked Eddie what Bert expected from me. And that's when he told me the strangest, most interesting offer he could have told me in that moment. He said if I could make every single one of those cars disappear in three days' time, at no cost to Old Bird, I could keep them. The words nearly knocked me off my feet. I'd have to call in every favor to every salvage yard and tow truck operator I knew, but it was possible. Still, nearly all of the cars I'd seen were beyond repair, even for a guy like me. At most, I saw some parts that could be salvaged. Maybe a few of the newer, less damaged ones could be saved. I knew a few guys in my circle who might be interested. And I figured if I played my cards right, I could make a few bucks out of the deal to boot. Or at least land a good trade or two. Still, there weren't any cars that I was interested in for myself. Until, at the edge of the property, tucked away in a spot I'd nearly overlooked. I saw it. It was as if I'd been drawn to it, like I was meant to find it. The car was familiar-looking, yet like nothing I'd ever seen. Cross a Chevelle Malibu Classic SE with the modern retro feel of the 97 Plymouth Prowler. Add the large rear spoiler and flared wheel arches of a 99 Nissan Skyline GTR, and you still won't come close. It looked like something one of the big three manufacturers had made, and yet I'd never seen or heard of its like ever before. It had no logos, no hood ornament, no identification of any kind. I practically ran around to the back of it to look for a name, a logo, something to identify it, tripping over hidden rocks and broken glass to do it. But there was nothing... Nothing to betray the make and mark of the strange car in front of me. I even asked Eddie if he knew what it was. He only shrugged, clearly wanting to wrap up our little outdoor meeting. I half-heartedly agreed. It was later than I'd realized. Between the dwindling sun and the discovery I'd made, I started to get a chill I couldn't shake. I had a bad tooth I'd been neglecting, and even that was starting to hurt from the cold. So I agreed to burnt steel... I shook Eddie's hand on it and got out of there, giving one last glance at the strange car in the woods on the way out. The next day, after making more phone calls than a politician on election night, a swarm of flatbeds, wheel lifts, and salvage trucks descended on those woods. For two days, they scooped out every piece of metal and glass in the place, while I oversaw the operation like a choir conductor from hell. I directed trucks this way and cunning crews that way. They snipped and cut and tore out every dead tree standing in the way so the truck crews could do the rest. I even got in there myself with the old chainsaw when it was needed. It was an exhausting two days, but I managed to keep my word to Bert and clear every abandoned car off his property with about an hour to spare. Some of the cars went to the junkyards others to various garages I'd made arrangements with. I was dead on my feet by the time I got home. I was ready for a shower and a bed. In what order, I wasn't sure. And yet a crackle of energy went through me when I saw what had been dropped off in my garage. My mystery car. Without the shadows of the woods hiding it, I could see it had been painted silver before the rust took over. It had been a fast sucker once, like a bullet to a werewolf's chest. That had been a long time ago. And yet, I sensed there was still some life in the old girl. I wanted so badly to start digging around under the hood to see what I could find out about it. But my legs were ready to collapse, and my eyes could barely focus. Intending to wake up early and hit the garage, I stumbled off to bed. You know that feeling you get when you realize someone's been talking to you for the past minute, thinking you've been listening, and you only just figured it out? Yeah, that's the feeling I woke up to. I sat straight up, like a vampire rising from his coffin. My bedroom was still dark, which meant it was the middle of the night. In my half-sleep, I tried to make out the clock on my nightstand, but couldn't read the numbers, so I fumbled for my glasses and shoved them on. It was just past two in the morning, way too early, even for me. No way was I getting up. Strange feeling or no. I was about to take my glasses off and lay back down when I heard the reason I'd woken up. Whispering. A man was in my room, whispering in the dark. I lunged across my bed and turned on the lamp, nearly knocking it over. I didn't have a weapon, but if I could see the intruder, I could do something about it. I spun back, back to the whispering, to see who it was, to shout at them or jump on them, whatever I had to do to save my life from the psycho in my bedroom. But the room was empty just me and a pounding heart. I was so confused. I jumped out of bed and tore around the room, making sure no one was hiding, but I didn't find anyone. I was alone. Then I heard it again, and I knew the whispers were coming from down the hall. With bare feet, I followed it, trying to make out what it was saying, but it was too low to understand. I grabbed a knife as I passed through the kitchen and held it in front of me, with sweat beating on my face, despite how cold I kept the house. I followed the whispering to the garage. The overhead light flickered on, lighting up the strange car in my garage. In my half-sleep, half-terror, I'd nearly forgotten about it. But there it was. Like a bear hibernating in its cave, waiting for the end of winter. It felt alive somehow. Not dead, just asleep. And dreaming... And it was, whispering. I knew how crazy that sounded, how crazy that was. But I swallowed hard and approached the car, knife first. The blade shook in front of me. The whispering got louder the closer I got, and yet, I still couldn't understand the words it was saying. Was someone hiding inside the car? Had I inherited a homeless man when I'd to towed to my house? If so, I had to get him out of there. Get him help, sure. Make sure he had a place to sleep, but he couldn't stay in my garage. Whispering through the night. No way. With my free hand, I yanked on the driver's side door. It didn't open. Rusted shut. I slowly walked around to the passenger side and yanked again. It opened... The whispering was louder now. Louder, but not clearer. Like an old television tuned between channels. Like a frequency not being picked up. Like a... Like a radio. The whispers were coming from the radio. I laughed under my breath, realizing how ridiculous I'd been. But then I remembered there was no way the radio could be working. The car wasn't turned on if it even had a battery under the hood it was probably little more than a square pile of rust and battery acid I clutched the kitchen knife tight and with the other hand I slowly reached out to turn the volume knob I needed to know if the whispers were coming from the radio and if they were I needed to know what they were saying my temple throbbed as the whispers grew louder and and louder louder and louder louder the moment my finger touched the knob the whispers stopped I felt like I was going crazy I looked around the inside of the car noting the strong smell of mildew and animal with a tinge of rotten leather Other than my own breath echoing back at me it was silent no whispers no nothing I went back to bed, but I barely slept. The next day was the day I usually took off in the shop, which was a relief since I woke up almost as tired as when I'd gone to bed. As I ate my breakfast the night before still sat fresh in my mind, but the more I went over it, the more I thought it had to have been a bad dream, brought on by exhaustion and an imagination run wild. I had to admit the mystery car sitting in my garage had gotten my mind racing faster than a Formula One. I'm the kind of guy who likes a simple explanation, something I can touch and feel and, yes, fix. So I started to think that I could have picked up some kind of rogue radio transmission from a trucker, or even a passing plane. The police scanner I owned in my younger days had certainly picked up its share of random broadcasts. And when it comes to working on junkers, I've learned to expect the unexpected. After I'd eaten my breakfast and downed my coffee, I got right to work on the car. I wanted to clear the air of whatever had happened, and I was dying to see what that baby had going on under the hood. The mystery of who the hell had made the thing was still heavy on me, but the enigma only deepened the more I looked. Under all that rust and dirt, and oil. I couldn't find one damn mark that told me who'd made the car. I almost wanted to say it was a custom build, but the work was just too precise. The system too well planned out to be an aftermarket job. I worked on it all day, so wrapped up in it I forgot to eat lunch. I ate dinner like a raccoon digging through a dumpster. Then I worked on it some more. I was just crawling into bed when I heard it again, the whispering. This time, I ignored it, hoping it would go away on its own, but it didn't stop. Not until I got up, walked across my house, went into the garage, and touched the radio. Then, it stopped. I decided right then and there not to go to the shop the next day. There was just too much work to be done. I'd been working on the car for four days straight before I got it sorted up. Four days of stripping and cleaning and rebuilding, four nights of whispering. I was even starting to hear it during the day, but low, barely audible, like a television playing somewhere in the house. After I got the engine started, the first thing I did was pull my code reader down from my tool wall and hook it up to the dashboard input. I'd been pleasantly surprised to find an input on the car, even though I was fairly certain it had been built after 96. To my shock, the screen filled up with a bunch of random trouble codes I'd never seen before, then went blank. I tried to get it powered up again, but apparently the connection had completely overloaded the device... I'd had the reader for years, and it had never given me a problem. I put it down and got back to the car, deciding to stick to the old-fashioned way and get a feel for what was wrong with it, just like Dad used to do. With my foot on the gas, I revved the engine good. It sounded better than I'd expected, like a beast waking up from deep sleep. But there was also something rattling around under the hood, something loose, knocking around inside the carburetor or possibly even the manifold. I tried a few options, opening up this and that, until I narrowed it down to something completely unexpected. The transmission. With considerable force, I managed to open up the transmission, and sure enough, I found something inside. Something dark and red. I pulled it out and studied it under the light. It looked like a small rock covered in old transmission fluid. How it got in there I didn't have a clue but I decided to clean it off and get a better look at it in case it pointed to a bigger problem. As I walked it to the slop sink I noticed the whispering usually a dull static during the day had started to grow louder. I could almost make out individual words now but I ignored it and ran the small rock under the faucet, watching the dark red fluid swirl down the drain. That was when I discovered something I was not prepared for. Not in the slightest. The thing in my hand wasn't a rock. It was a tooth. A human tooth. The whispers had grown so loud I could barely hear myself think Barely feel the disgust rising in the pit of my stomach. With the whispers practically shouting in my ear, I dropped the tooth and it bounced and clattered inside the sink, coming to a rest near the edge of the drain. The whispers grew quiet again, a dull roar tickling at the back of my skull. I stared at it. The tooth in the sink. The impossible tooth. From the impossible car. I had the urge to throw it out, to get it out of my house and never see it again. But I didn't do that. I couldn't tell you why not. Maybe because that meant touching it again. Maybe something else. Feeling like I should give the car a rest, I worked on getting my code reader working again. Otherwise, I'd have to run to the store and buy a new one. I changed out the batteries and gave it a good solid whack. A few seconds later, I was happy to see the screen turn on. I thought I'd have to do a factory reset to use it again, but I was surprised to find it worked perfectly fine. Not only that, the trouble codes it had read off the car were still stored in its memory. There were pages and pages of codes like I'd never seen in my life. More than I think are even in the tool's programming. In fact... I couldn't find a single one of them anywhere in the manual. I figured they were probably just random numbers, and... And yet... There was something strange about them. Like they had a pattern to them. I dusted off my old computer and typed in the problem codes, figuring if I could get a better look at them, I might be able to figure out their meaning. If not, I could at least print them out and show them to somebody who could. After twenty minutes I barely made a dent in typing up all the codes. I gave up on the idea that I could copy them all. I pushed away from my computer and stood up, rubbing my eyes from the strain. Between the glare of the old screen and the noise in my ears, my head was killing me. It all felt so pointless, so inconsequential. Just before I shut the computer down I happened to glance one last time at the screen. And when I did, I noticed something that made my skin go cold. The codes, the pattern, the numbers and letters and spaces between them. They were starting to form a face. A human face with two eyes and a screaming I shut the computer down as fast as I could, then unplugged it to be safe. Then I marched to the garage and disconnected the radio, practically ripping it out of the car. The whispers stopped. The house was quiet. But not for long. For three days, I told myself to get rid of that car, to tow it out of my garage and dump it somewhere no one could find it maybe even drench it in gasoline and light a match. For three days I ignored the whispers and the doorbell and the phone calls from my shop asking when I was coming back. For three days I buried my head under the hood and worked and worked and worked. On the fourth day when the whispers in the radio had grown louder than my own thoughts, louder but still unclear, still without words I could understand, I lost it. I threw my wrench at the tool wall knocking down chisels and socket wrenches and a dozen other tools sent clattering to the ground I pounded on my ears cursing them willing them to go deaf and stop hearing the whispers but they didn't stop hearing and the whispers didn't stop so I decided I decided that if I couldn't stop hearing them I at least needed to know what they were saying I went back to the slop sink. The tooth was still there, perched near the edge of the drain. I prayed for it to slip down and wash away on its own, but... There it was. Round and sharp. And real as ever. So I picked it up. And the whispers grew louder. Clearer. But still not clear enough to hear... Not enough to make out what the radio was saying. To understand what it wanted from me. It was like a broken antenna, only turning in half the frequency. The garage was a mess. I was a mess. Rancid grease stains everywhere, a hole in my tool wall where the wrench had struck it. The ground littered with hammers and screwdrivers and... pliers before I could talk myself out of it I grabbed the pliers from the ground shoved them into my mouth got a good hold of my bad tooth and ripped it out it was easier than I expected but it still hurt and it bled a lot but I didn't hesitate I pushed the tooth I'd found in the transmission into its place the moment I did It was as if everything came into focus, as if the radio was inside my skull. No, as if my skull was the radio, and I was the antenna. I could hear the transmission clear as day now, a man's voice inside my head, whispering to me, telling me where to find the rest of him. I told you all of this not because I expect you to believe me, but because I'm about to walk out my door and do something I might not come back from. And if that's the case, if I don't return today or any other day from this thing I need to do, I want people to know why. Because I find things. I find things and I fix them. If you don't know that, you don't know me. You've been listening to Transmission by author Brian Martinez, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that last tale, please check out more of Brian Martinez and his work at the new horror fiction website creepypastastories.com where you'll find not only more of his macabre fiction but an author profile with links to where you can connect with Brian on social media to keep up to date with his newest releases or check out his offerings on Amazon available for purchase now thank you for your support of indie horror and of tonight's authors I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week, when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumbed from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's episode featured tales from the very talented Ryan Peacock and Brian Martinez, Rule 34 was written by and presented to you courtesy of Ryan Peacock. Ryan Peacock is a horror author from Ontario, Canada and a self-described music junkie and movie nerd. Visit him on Reddit for more, where he can be found under the username Head of Spectre. All one word, Head of Spectre. S-P-E-C-T-R-E he can also be found on Twitter. Follow him at, at Oceanic Specter. Transmission was written by and presented courtesy of Brian Martinez. Brian is the author of more than a dozen works in the science fiction and horror genres, starting with his apocalyptic debut, A Chemical Fire, a deeply personal blend of loss, science, faith, and humor. A chemical fire established many common themes in Martinez's writing. Martinez studied film at Long Island University, where his short films played at the annual festivals. His works have appeared on screen and in print, and have been adapted to audio for YouTube, podcast, and audiobook listeners. He lives on Long Island, New York, with his wife Natalia and their pack of wild dogs. For more information, please visit his website at bloodstreamcity.com and sign up for his mailing list to receive free stories and news of future releases. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference. It would mean a lot to me. Including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness. I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener. And whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and it's featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshack. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshack. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. Com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel... Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, You'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take